You're listening to the Community Action Podcast, Building Opportunities for All, brought to you by the National Community Action Partnership. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Community Action Podcast, Building Opportunity for All. My name is Denise Harlow. I'm the CEO of the National Community Action Partnership, and we're excited to have you here today for Episode 6. Today we're going to be talking about advocacy and the role that community action um, organizations, state associations, volunteers, board members, the role we all have to play to elevate uh, the issues uh, around struggling families and how we as a community, as a society, and as a nation can um, address poverty to provide hope and opportunity. And today our guest is Tawny Stottlemyre. Tawny, you've been a great friend to me over the years, and I'm so excited to have you with us here today. Oh, that's nice, Denise. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Tawny works here with the National Partnerships Office. She is a commissioner in our CCAP commission as well as our Excellence Commission. And she's also the Executive Director of Community Action Incorporated in Topeka, Kansas, and the former ED of the Kansas Association. Uh, Tawny, I just must say I love the URL of your CAP agency. It's wefightpoverty.org. Uh, <laughs> that seems to tell the story about what you might actually think about advocacy. Um, tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, this agency, uh, my community action agency, has been through a lot of interesting names in its history. And um, I actually take credit for the moment back in the 90s when we changed Community Action Inc. But, you know, that's still not, it's giving a message. But um, I felt like when I came back to the agency that we really need to be able to communicate to the world what it is that community action does. So that's when we changed WeFightPoverty.org. And it's a little hard, you know, it's long to type, but it is so effective at letting people know exactly where you are and what you're, what you're standing for. Talk about putting your mission statement right in your email address. That, that's <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So you've been in community action um, a long time. You've always kind of been a mentor to me in terms of um, advocacy. I remember coming out to a Kansas Association conference and, Remember, you had a whole brick wall set up uh, where people put messages, uh, put comments, put um, action-oriented um, calls to, to action up on the wall. Talk a little bit about why you think community action is a great lever um, for advocating for families, communities against poverty. Oh, you know, Denise, I'm so glad that you remember the wall. That was such a fun project. It was actually paper that looked like bricks. And the messages that people were writing were on paper that was in the shape of footprint. So when that conference was over and we had all of those messages gathered, we actually took that paper down to the state house and then taped it to the floor. So it was this brick pathway um, to, to ways out of poverty so that legislators and other advocates that were coming into the state house would be completely exposed to that at the time. So that was a lot of fun. But advocacy is so important to what we do. We, it's steeped in our history as community action agencies. And I think that sometimes we lose sight of that in favor of what is also really important work, which is operating programs. But we can't forget that 
those programs rely on our funding sources, many of which are government funding sources, and they rely on the trust and belief of our policymakers and people in the community. And if we're not out there advocating for lower income people, especially when we know they don't get to the polls as often as we would like for them to do, there really isn't a voice in policymaking for lower income people. So it's just so critical that community action be there at all levels and not lose sight of that part of our mission. I could not agree with you more. I, I love that you had taken that brick wall and then put it on the floor, right? So that way <laughs> that they act. And it wasn't a yellow brick. It was a red brick road because this is reality. This is right. a story. <laughs> this is real practical change that we, when we walk to those offices to tell the story, uh, to, to carry the message, um, is truly impactful. It brings to mind, I, I just saw um, Kentucky just sent me some pictures um, about two weeks ago. They um, put up poster boards and actually things on the floor in their capital's annex promoting uh, community action and the impact that community action has for families. So it's great to use all space. That's true. comes to advocacy. And, you know, you can actually, so those little vinyl stickers that mm -hmm. stick to floors and walls and such and are reusable, they're not that expensive. And those make great reusable messages in different settings. And that's just it when it's, and when it's advocacy, right? You're telling the story. You're not mm -hmm. asking for something, right? You're telling the story and impact um, of what tr truly is going on. We, we've been talking about how do we, change the narrative. I think of what the Gates Foundation's funded um, Urban Institute, U.S. Partnership on Mobility from Poverty, their number one recommendation was, we need to change the narrative on poverty today. And I think that's someplace where community action really has a role to play to tell the true and accurate stories about how families struggle in America. Can you talk a little bit about um, the importance of, of telling those real stories? Oh, my goodness. What a soapbox issue for me. <laughs> <laughs> If you talk to any of the staff at our agency, they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, she wants stories. She wants them all the time. <laughs> um, it's actually a part of our performance evaluation is you know, turning in success stories. But um, we just completed in our agency 29 focus groups with 156 low-income people. And that was such an amazing experience because it wasn't us telling the story. It was them telling the story. We were able to capture so many good things about that. But what you're speaking to is at the heart of what they said. One of the biggest problems they felt holding lower income people back from being more prosperous was the negative story and the judgment and the belief that a lot of people have about lower income people. And that translates into how they're treated when they're asking for assistance. So you know, at the very core of it, us being able to get stories out that fight those myths and, um, you know, help demonstrate that lower income people aren't any different than the rest of society really can help us because it's hard, you know this, it's hard in this network to generate a lot of public support just for fighting poverty. It's not as sexy as a lot of other issues that people can choose to devote their time and energy and resources to. And so getting those stories out totally helps us in that arena because it does make people 
more understandable and it brings us closer together. So you as a CAP agency did 29 focus groups with how many participants in those 29 focus groups again? 156. 156 individuals. Now that is something that a CAP agency anywhere across this country, right, is sitting down, talking to families. Families, no matter what their income, care about their children, are striving for success, are, are building toward the future. Mm -hmm. and working past barriers. That's an amazing data collection uh, process, but it sounds like <laughs> it really gives you a lot of oomph when you're going to talk to policymakers um, that you've actually talked with real families. It is. It has been amazing, and not just the process of the journey itself, because that was, as I said, incredible, but since our report with the data has come out, we are actually getting in front of policymakers. Mm -hmm. I've been asked in our own town to do three presentations now to the different subgroups of the Chamber of Commerce, not to social service organizations, not to faith-based organizations, but to business leaders in the community because they're really interested in the story that comes out through the narrative of low-income people. And I'll remind our listeners that you are in Topeka, Kansas, right? You are in the middle of the country. Yes. And if, if the Chamber of Commerce in Topeka, um, Kansas can have those presentations and the CAP agency in Topeka can do this, my guess is regardless of where folks are located across this country, they can do very similar things. Well, you know, this is a, a, a hard state to negotiate <laughs> on certain issues. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just really excited by the energy that I'm finding around the voices that we've brought out. It's been awesome. And certainly carrying the message to the state house, right? You're, talk, you're talking chamber of commerce locally, uh, taking the message to the state house. And I know yeah. in a couple of weeks, our network, Community Action, will be gathering here in DC for the National Community Action Foundation's a legislative conference where they're going to be taking the message uh, to the to Capitol Hill, to uh, congressional offices, saying, "This is what community action does coast to coast." Because again, we serve 99% of America's counties. We got people everywhere um, having these conversations. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the, the importance of carrying the voice both to the state house as well as to Congress? You know, I, I want to start by telling you a story. Uh, briefly, I promise. Um, <laughs> it, when I started my community action career, I had such a supportive executive director and a lot of opportunities to interact outside of our agency mm -hmm. and statewide and nationally. So one of the things I was able to do was be an intern at the National Community Action Foundation. And for me, that really solidified the importance of our presence in Washington, I had the opportunity to go with our lobbyist, David Bradley, to several meetings with different congressional delegates. And at one time we were sitting in Joe Kennedy's office and he, they were talking about changes that they wanted to see in homeless funding. And I remember how excited I was to come home and several months later, I read in the green sheet how the things that we asked for during that meeting had been incorporated into the legislation with McKinney-Vento. And that right there, you know, really demonstrated to me that this isn't just about um, 
pretending to do advocacy, that being out there and being in touch with those folks can make a huge difference. So at the national level, definitely real pride moment for me one time when I stood up in a public meeting here in Kansas with one of our senators from the federal level. And he, he called on me and he said, boy, I don't remember your name right away, but I sure know what you want to talk about. <laughs> I'm like, that's right. Because it's not just going once a year either. It's that persistence. It's that making yourself known and, and you know, being there so they don't have a choice but to listen to your issues in our case. At the State House, we've had such fun. And, you know, we talked about the paper project earlier. But that's also resulted in some really good relationships with local um, or statewide delegates, elected representatives, um, so that, you know, we're at a point where we can call them up and say, hey, what's going on? We were dealing with some legislation in Kansas under our former gubernatorial administration that was putting work restrictions in on benefits and, um, you know, just time limits, some of the things that we're seeing and hearing more about these days. And an amendment had been put forth on the floor that was horrible, would have just been really devastating to lower income people. And so at that moment, I texted one of my senators and said, what's going on with this? She walked over on the Senate floor, talked to the person who'd introduced the amendment, and they withdrew it because they didn't, at that moment, get what would happen to lower income people. But just having those relationships is so critical. And if, if I can just take half a second, I want to go to the local level as well. Mm -hmm. yep. Our communities working on, um, we, our city council has been enlightened to the idea that there are unsheltered homeless people in our community. And there's different opinions about that. Um, there is an opinion that says we need to limit where those unsheltered homeless people can sleep and camp, if you will. And so being there and being a part of that conversation, Community Action is one of the only organizations at the table saying, wait, let's think about the constitutional rights of the lower income population and weigh that against the concerns that some of the businesses are brought forth. We have to be there, Denise. We just have to be there because there's not another voice. And I would, I would say probably 99% of everything we've talked about is true under the definition of advocacy, right? Everything you've kind of just raised there, you're, you're the voice in the room. You're the voice of reasonableness. You're reminding folks of what reality really is, what, where, the, where the data actually sits, what families are actually dealing with. It's about education and advocacy. Because I know some folks get freaked out about the, the rule on lobbying and when am I moving into that area. Right. 99% of what community action can do is truly in that being present, being that yep. voice, and having the guts and leadership, honestly, in some ways, to, to, to raise the hand, to stand up, to ask the question. And it is scary sometimes. Mm -hmm. and I'm glad you used the word fun. Um, I got into social work because of the public policy change piece. That, that's the fun part of the job, um, where you can actually get to be the voice on poverty in your community because you are the CAP agency. What an amazing privilege and opportunity folks have. That is, and here's, here's just another truth that I have found. Most people out there don't even know the federal poverty rate or what it's like 
testing. Yep. They, they have no idea what those numbers are. So I found it helpful when I was working at the state house more frequently. I just printed the current year's federal poverty level on the back of my business card mm-hmm. because I would be in hearings and, you know, legislators would ask, well, what is that? And be like, well, here you go. And, you know, here they are making policy for the people in their state, some of which will definitely have an impact on the people that we advocate for. And they don't even know the definition and the parameters of what that means. You have to be there. Mm -hmm. You have to be there. Definitely. Well, you and I could probably talk about this all day, but it is probably (laughs) time for us to wrap up this segment of the podcast before we move on to our next section. Is there any last words of wisdom uh, that you'd leave with the listeners here today? Yes, actually. I think what you said about lobbying and advocacy is, is critical. And I believe that a lot of our boards of directors around the country have gotten into the thinking that we can't do anything, even, you know, let alone lobbying, that we can't do anything around advocacy. I just encourage every board member and community action director and leader out there to really challenge that with your board um, and help them see. And again, be persistent. You need to be persistent with the truth if it's internal or external. And, you know, I have not encountered a board of directors in my history that has just absolutely stood up and said, well, that's not true and we're not going to do anything now that you've educated us. It's really powerful just to to bring the truth to them and to be persistent about it. And it results in good actions because our board members can speak so much louder than we can as paid staff. So, you know, it's been good. Can't agree with you more about the boards, that tripartite nature. Every member of that board has a role to play. And given that our boards come from every corner of America, we can amplify that message 10 times over. So, well, thank you so much, Tani, for being with us here today. We so appreciate it. And you can visit her website at wefightpoverty.org. And um, folks, we'll just take a break and we'll be right back. Thanks so much for joining us again today on Episode 6 of our podcast, Building Opportunities for All. The National Community Action Partnership has a comprehensive range of materials and learning opportunities developed with your community action agency in mind. Tools range from ways to help develop your community needs assessment to supports for your communications and branding and everything in between. Be sure to visit the website at communityactionpartnership.com. Not finding what you're looking for? Give the partnership a call at 202-265-7546. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us for this next piece of our Community Action Partnership podcast, Building Opportunity for All. We are focused on advocacy today, and our guest now is Phil Cole, who is the Executive Director of the Ohio Association for Community Action Agencies. Thanks for being with us today, Phil. Thank you for having me. Um, As the Executive Director of the Ohio Association, um, I think you you have a, a certainly distinctive role to play. I mean, Ohio has been a swing state politically. You have a large number of community action agencies. You have a large population of families that, that get served every year by Community Action, and it's great that you've been a leader on advocacy. Um, what has been your perspective? I mean, I've turned to you as a mentor on advocacy. 
What's your perspective on community action and advocacy? Well, where do you see the network's role being in that space? Well, we have, uh, uh, first a little bit about Ohio, I guess. We have 48 agencies, and mm -hmm. uh, we serve a, about 650,000 people, uh, mm -hmm. different individuals on in a given year. And um, you know, the total money that we bring into this economy is about $600 million. Um, so we have, uh, as far as social service organizations go, or advocacy organizations, we have a pretty good clout in Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, we have to advocate on, on really on two fronts. One is is uh, for our own programs, uh, making sure people and uh, decision makers understand what we do and how important our work is and how effective our work is. But we also have to advocate um, on behalf of low-income people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like uh, SNAP may not be a program that we handle. Of course, it's not, but um, uh, it's a program that's important for low-income people. So we have to make sure that our position is known on on that too. Mm-hmm. It does cause you to have to almost be an expert on a breadth of issues. That has to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know that when you're advocating, though, you have to think. I think three concepts that that are very important. First is to think strategically. Mm -hmm. um, how does this, how does this position today affect future positions you may have to you may have to consider? And second would be to think long term. Um, while we can always see what's in front of us today or, or maybe next week, we have to consider what's coming down the pike a year from now or three years from now. Uh, like we have a new governor in Ohio, uh, he'll be here for four years. Um, how does what we're looking at today going to play mm -hmm. uh, two years from now or in the next budget? And third, I think, is um, to remember that all politics is personal. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we talk about how Tip O'Neill said that all politics is local. Well, it's also personal. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to remember that um, and make sure that um, we are able to appeal to decision makers in, in a way that's important to them as, as a person. Um, and I think sometimes... People kind of forget about that one, you know, but that's probably the most important part. It sounds like relationship building um, is, that's exactly is the key what to it that. Is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have um, relationships in Columbus that go back 30 or 40 years, and, and um, it's important to maintain relationships. Um, you know, we have the term limits in Ohio, although there are some... <laughs> There are some people who've been in, in the General Assembly for 30 or 40 years. I don't know how they really do it, but they, they manage to flip between the House <laughs> and the Senate. But we have um, we have term limits, and, and so you'll see people leave. Um, and it may be it may be office holders or, or uh, staff people, people mm -hmm. that work in the administration. But so many of them come back because politics is a small world. Mm. Um, um, so you try and maintain those relationships with people even after they leave, and that goes for. Um, not just uh, these decision makers, but uh, reporters. Uh, I have a reporter friend that I, uh, who has technically retired. He and I have breakfast every quarter, um, and he still is a major editorial writer for uh, papers in Ohio, uh, even though he's retired. So I maintain that relationship, that friendship. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just that's part of keeping this personal and thinking long term. Well, when you say decades, that, that certainly is long-term, and you're right. I think the world gets smaller every day, and, and in the world of politics, um, in the world of legislative work, that can be a small 
a small group of people and people move around and keeping those relationships is critical. And we don't always agree, right? But you, right. you still got to find a way to build that personal bridge across those moments where you're going to disagree on politics or or particular legislation. Right. Some of my uh, closest friends in politics are people who I don't agree with politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we uh, also kind of watch out for each other. Well, you can really have mutual respect for folks, even if you disagree on specific issues, if you respect their their thinking, um, their perspective, um, and what they bring to the table. And I think you're exactly right. I think if CAP agencies can develop relationships and maintain those relationships over time, that pays off in a myriad of ways and can have impacts at the local, state, and perhaps national levels as well. You talk, exactly stra- right. you talk strategy and strategic. Um, what advice would you have for community action agency directors, board members, as they think about making advocacy a key element of what they want to tackle as an organization? What kind of strategy um, would you recommend or how would you encourage their strategic thinking as they kind of lay out a, an advocacy plan for their organization? Well, first think long-term. Figure, where do you want to be? Mm-hmm. What, do you want, what do you want to achieve? Yeah. Um, it's, it's easy to react in this, in this environment. Um, and reacting is a lot of what we do, but we also have to have that long-term strategy that, that lays out that goal that, that we fight for. We say, what actions do we take to get to this goal? Um, determine where you want to be and how you're going to get there. Right, because you can chase rabbits all day long, right? Right. Go down (laughs) holes and shoot from the hip. But if you know where you want to get to, every decision you make almost is targeted toward that goal. Right. That's exactly right. In terms of your membership, um, how do you as a state association prepare your team of executive directors and agency leadership team members to engage at the State House um, in Columbus or when you bring them to D.C. and be part of the NCAF Legislative Conference. What are some of the key things that have really worked well for you to rally the troops, as it were, and get them ready to be the voice of community action and families when they go advocate? In Columbus, it's, you know, we have a legislative uh, conference every year, every January. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and we have a reception, but part of that, um, the first thing that we want people to do before the conference even starts technically is go see the legislator. Mm-hmm. Um, we ask them to uh, uh, make appointments, go talk to them about the issues that are important, and then we ask them to let us know how those meetings went. Um, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Um, if they've had a meeting with a, with a member We'd like to know about it so we can look at what other members are hearing, what our other agencies are hearing, and, what the, and uh, so we can kind of coordinate responses or see where there may be uh, concerns that we didn't know about. Um, we try, you try and tell them, you know, here are the two or three points that you want to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, talk about two or three issues. Don't go too many. Don't try and do too many things. Don't try and cover too many things. Um, and um, let us know how it went. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. We try to keep it simple. Our, you know, we're, we've been blessed in that um, our folks are pretty smart and they mm-hmm. understand politics um, because in, in Ohio, everything's political. And it's political all the time, um, and uh, that you know the bad, there's bad to that, of course. But the but the good part is that people are pretty much aware of politics. Yeah, people are pretty savvy, right? They they know that the, the politics are important and. It's almost built into the sauce, right, of a a CAP ED's position is to be politically savvy and understand politics. 
You have to be. Um, mm -hmm. When a third of your board are uh, elected officials, um, mm -hmm. you need to be aware of what's important to them um, yeah. as elected officials. And when, when we're created by Congress and uh, designated by the state, uh, there's that inherent politics too. Do you use things such as kind of standardized talking points? Do you prepare packets? What kind of materials do you prepare to give to your team members or your, your EDs and leadership team members who are going across uh, the State House or the Capitol here in D.C.? Uh, as far as D.C., we use uh, whatever uh, NCAF has prepared. Mm -hmm. um, we don't go beyond what they do. In Columbus, I've done printed materials and, and, and those kind of things, and I've held some seminars, and we'll do a seminar on advocacy um, at our summer conference this year. Um, but I found that those things tend to be kind of haphazard. People use them, people don't. Um, the, the culture here is uh, people like to be a little more independent. So <laughs> I just try to give them guidelines. <laughs> give them some guidelines and say go to it. Uh, and and I, I agree with you. I think it has to be real. I, I think people know when you're doing a canned spiel. And if you believe what you're talking about, you're passionate about what your asks are, asks are um, it's going to come across. And those EDs and leadership team members are going to be much more effective when they're just talking from their heart in a lot of ways. That's right. That's exactly right. But And you have to recognize the culture. Ohio is, is um, a state where people just don't small government is important in this in this uh, mm -hmm. in this state um, I think we're the only state that where you'll you'll know an outsider because they'll talk about the state capitol the building <laughs> that's not what you call it here it's the state house uh -huh. it's you know it's not really the same thing as other people would have as far as government it's not even it doesn't even look the same and there's not even a dome in our capital um, it's just um, no dome no dome <laughs> Uh, you know, we're just believing small government and, and a very limited role for government. Mm -hmm. um, and um, we just have to recognize that culture. So we don't tell people, go say, go ask for these 12 things yeah. or go say these 12 points. Um, we say, here's here's a guideline, maybe three or four things, um, and then go do your thing. Well, in... in that's why it's so important, I think, that it's the local folks who are carrying the message. You can hire a lobbyist all day long, but to understand local communities, your elected officials are coming from local communities. They know the local culture. Um, they can see a, see a paid shill coming a mile away. Um, real people who are real voters who are working directly with real people um, carry the message in a different way. We do both. Um um, yeah, we have paid lobbyists. I'm a lobbyist, uh -huh. but we expect yep. our people. Um, mm -hmm. are, but lot, the legislators really want to hear from the local folks. Yep. I mean, uh, I tell our folks it means a whole lot more um, if when a bill is being heard, if they're testifying than if I'm testifying. I can mm -hmm. talk to them about the numbers. I can say, you know, in, in Cleveland or in Marietta, we've had X happen. But when they see these executive directors or other staff people coming from the local agencies and talk about what they've seen on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. that means a lot more. Um, it's much more personal uh, when you can say, "I touched this. I touched this person. I drove them to a you know, drug treatment mm -hmm. or whatever," um, than it is if I just get up and talk about uh, what they've done overall. Right. And I think that you're. 
there's certainly a role to play for lobbyists and agreed as a state association director, you get to do a lot of the nuts and bolts and, and carry a lot of the water. But yeah, I remember a time in New York doing a legislative hearing and while my testimony was X, when the youth came to talk about the after school soccer program, those legislators put down their papers, they put down their phones, they listened to the to the to the teenager tell his story. They listened to the mom who held her baby in her lap while she gave testimony on the value of community action and and what was going on in the organization. It's a whole different there there are certainly roles for lobbyists and staff to play, but I tell you, the real life stories, they really resonate. That's right. Well, is there any final thing that you'd like us to, for our listeners to hear as they prepare to come to D.C. for the NCAF conference or as they prepare for their own local advocacy? What would be some of the last things you'd like folks to hear? When you talk to them, um, don't just bring the numbers, bring the stories. Mm -hmm. Tell them your stories. Tell them what you've gone through, the people that you've seen and how you've helped them. Talk to them about results. Um, uh, they want to hear that. They want to know that the that the program that they voted for or the money that um, they voted for actually did something. Mm -hmm. So make sure and tell them how you, that that you work, uh, that you're effective. Yep. Tell the story. Tell the impact. That's great advice. Well, Phil, again, I always respect. I love talking to you about advocacy. You've really um, helped me out over the years. Been a mentor in this space and. Uh, just thank you for being with us here today and sharing your expertise. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I appreciate all the work that you do in D.C. for us. Well, thanks, Phil. It's it's a real pleasure to be here at the partnership. And, folks, we're going to just take a quick break, and we will be back shortly with our third guest of the day. Thanks so much. Thanks. Are you ready to join the largest annual gathering of community action professionals? Be sure to save the date for the partnership's upcoming annual convention in Chicago, Illinois, August 28th through the 30th. Also, check out the partnership's other events, including weekly webinars, by visiting communityactionpartnership.com slash events. Welcome back. Again, my name is Denise Harlow here at the National Community Action Partnership, and I am so excited to be joined by Lana Shope. Lana is the Executive Director of the Iowa Association of Community Action Agencies. Lana, thanks so much for being with us here today. Great. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about advocacy. Well, you and I have done training together on advocacy. I know that you are one of the people I respect most when it comes to the passion of advocacy, the role that advocacy can play, and really the kind of the nuts and bolts of, of really how to do it. What's your perspective on why community action agencies, state associations, board members, volunteers should be involved in advocacy? Well, I've been a registered lobbyist for about 20 years, and I believe that community action has one of the best models to be an extremely effective advocate um, at all levels, local, state and national. I think most state associations either contract out for lobbying services or the executive director fulfills that role uh, as being a lobbyist. And because of that, you have a presence in the public policy debate and you are aware of the conversations that are taking place and the bills that are moving forward. 
And when you have that information and you can share that with your network, then they can um, go to the events that take place at the local level of their state elected officials and talk to them about the topics that you shared uh, with them. And both the executive director of the agency, in some cases staff of the agency, and in all cases board members can be very participatory in those local events. I also think having the opportunity to come to the Capitol uh, and have conversation um, is also important with our elected officials. I'm so glad you raised board members, right? Board members are volunteers. They don't get paid to, to go make the case about the value and impact of community action. And in most cases, they are oftentimes the community ambassador about the great work a CAP agency is doing in their local community. I, what I hear you saying is we need to use all the assets we have at our fingertips um, when we're making the case. Correct. I think the other value of board members is they tend to be all over the political spectrum in terms of their positions um, on lots of issues. They share the position of alleviating the causes and conditions of poverty. So, you know, if I'm needing to influence an elected official who's of uh, Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, I may call upon an agency that has a strong elected official who's a Democrat and knows their uh, representative or their senator at the state house to have them influence the decision that that person may be making on a bill that's important to the cause. And the same is true with Republicans. You know, if I've got a committee chair right now, Republicans are in control of the Iowa House and Senate, so I may be calling on an executive director to find a Republican board member who knows that elected official and is a committee chair and could convince that person to have a bill come up out of their committee that would help us as a network of agencies. And I'm so glad, you know, you talk about Republicans and Democrats, and community action really does serve the entire community. And with our tripartite board and elected officials sitting there in all corners of the country, we got red, we got blue, we got purple, we got everything in between. It really is a powerful force that can address all the different aspects of the political spectrum. Yes, and in addition to that, we have great data and great mm -hmm. stories. So... I think, you know, we're fortunate in that um, at least a third of our board members are individuals who have a lower limited income or represent that population, so they have contact, just like our staff do, with folks that come to us for help. And um, through those experiences of filling out a LIHEAP application or being a part of the board meeting where you're making decisions that uh, impact the agency's ability to meet the needs of people in the community, all of those are stories that can influence a legislator's decision. So um, I don't think a lot of elected officials have the opportunity to engage mm. with those who have a low income. And so a community action board meeting and a visit to the state house with an elected official serving on the board and someone with a low income serving on a board can be one of the most powerful experiences to change an elected official's mind about an issue. What a powerful combination, right? Yes. Oh. And whether it's on a specific bill or 
just talking about the value of having um, access to services, right? No data without stories, no stories without data, but having that personal touch is really a high-impact strategy. One of the issues we've been working on a lot this year, um, we lost some funding for our weatherization assistance program last year. Mm -hmm. So over the summer and um, just last week, last Friday as well, we've been having visits out in the um, local communities and we've invited our elected officials to see a home being weatherized. <laughs> and a few months ago, on a terribly cold day in November, <laughs> we went to an 89-year-old woman's home who had everything done in the house except the furnace replaced. And uh, she was a delightful woman and so grateful for what we were able to do. And um, almost every day at the Capitol, I see one of the representatives who attended that home, and um, you know she has never forgotten that experience. She met Rose, and she was instantly drawn to her. Um, we had the same experience last Friday. Um, we had three legislators go to a home where um, we had just begun the weatherization process. It was a home that had no insulation in the walls, and so they were able to see uh, the beginning of blowing the insulation in uh, into the walls of the home. And that particular homeowner was uh, so grateful that the agency was there to help them reduce their energy cost and their energy consumption. And, and again, it was a very powerful experience. I think we continue to fight the battle of some folks thinking that weatherization is caulking the windows and putting plastic on the windows. So when we can get them out there to see the level of expertise and technology that we use, um, it's really impressive. And everything I heard you say was about educating those elected officials. I know some folks get a little freaked out when you use the term lobbyist and this and that, but everything you just said is educating um, an elected official about what it means to weatherize a home and the impact it had on on the people who live there. That in and of itself sticks with people much longer than any ask for any specific number in any way, shape, or form. I remember uh, up in New York when I was there, we had a, a congressman be covered. He went to a demonstration of weatherization, and they had him blow some of the insulation, and he ended up with it all over him. And <laughs> talk about a memorable experience. He did not forget what weatherization did in, in the local community. So. That's right, especially when it's 102 degrees and they're in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so true. Now, you can't always bring the 89-year-old the woman to D.C. Um, to, to walk on the hill, and I know in a couple of weeks uh, the Community Action Network will be coming to D.C. for the NCAS conference. Well, they'll be walking the halls of Congress to talk about the value and impact of community action. Can you talk a little bit about what you have found over your years of experience that can be useful for a CAP director or other staff member who might be coming to walk the halls of Congress? What forewarning or forearming would you give them before they get on that plane to come to D.C.? I think it's important to prepare, um, but no matter how much preparation you do, they're going to ask you a question that you're not going to have an answer, and that's okay. That is okay, because you can come back home, get the answer, and when you send a thank you to the people you met with, you can give them the answer to the question. So 
I think be prepared, but uh, also just be comfortable knowing that it's okay to not have all the answers. And I think over the years, we have really transitioned the information that we give to our elected officials in Washington. Um, their schedules are very busy, and um, even though we think not a lot is happening in Congress, there's always a lot going on in Congress. And so we have changed the level of detail that we provide when we meet with our members uh, of Congress and or their staff. This year and last year, we're using more infographics, so it's more of a visual presentation of the data. Uh, we like to talk about uh, making it easy to comprehend, not too many words, lots of graphics. And then this year we're going to, for the first time, do uh, a jump drive that has videos that share stories from people who've come and uh, benefited uh, from what we've been able to do to help them and work with them to change their lives. And they're not going to be long videos. I think most of them are going to be about 60 to 90 seconds, um, where they can just kind of give a snippet of where their life was. Uh, where they are now and where they want to be in the future. So I think that that, and we're going to touch on the major programs, um, LIHEAP, weatherization, and then share some CSBG stories as well. So I think given the age of many of the staffers in our uh, delegation's offices, uh, we think they're more likely to watch a video than read a book that we write that gives the same information, only it's written on paper. Um, I think trying to respond to the way that individuals are learning right now seems to be the best and most likely way to get our information into their thinking. Well, I'm going to need a copy of that flash drive. I just okay. I've heard that idea before, and that's a great way to, to bring the videos with you, right? It's one thing to play them on a phone, or you see, you know, people used to bring the video cassettes, but I love them on a flash drive. So bring a copy with you to, when you come, and I'd love to have that in my toolbox. So. Wow, we will exciting stuff, and you have you you tell the stories. I've heard you um, advocate. You've been a, a real mentor to me over the years, and I just I'm, I hope that folks take the moment to to listen to some of the real world examples uh, that you've laid out and take them to heart and put them into action. Is there is there anything else you want to make sure folks hear before we sign off here today? I just want everyone to see their role and uh, be intentional about being a strong advocate. Uh, families that have a lower limited income, they need us. They need us to help tell their story, to help show the numbers and the data that makes a difference, and to be their champion um, so that they can have a better life and move into the future um, having a better reality than they have today. Well, thank you so much, Lana. I so appreciate everything that uh, you do for Community Action. You've been such a great mentor uh, to me. I have learned so much from you, and I hope that folks hear the messages that you're bringing here today and, and the tools that, that you've kind of laid out and how to really be the voice and help amplify the voice of others in their community. So thank you again. And everyone, thank you so much for being part of today's final episode of our six-part podcast series, Building Opportunity for All. We welcome your feedback on this podcast series, and you can email me at dharlow at communityactionpartnership.com. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are, if you found it valuable, and if you'd like us to continue 
recording this podcast series, and we'll see um, what we can do moving forward. So thank you all for, for listening, and we'll talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the National Community Action Partnership six-part introductory podcast series, now available on iTunes and your other favorite podcatcher sites. Be sure to subscribe now.